Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for FBC Keller Media in the iTunes Store. And now, our Associate Pastor of Discipleship and Church Membership, Jack Gatewood. How many of you like to look at old pictures? Lots of us do. And I'm thinking there may be a picture coming up here that's of my family. And uh, this is my father and my brothers and I sometime about uh, 45 or 50 years ago. And there are a lot of good memories in that, mostly good ones. And uh, my mom made our outfits because these were going to church outfits and she sewed all of our clothes in those days. And so uh, these pictures serve to remind us of things, remind us of an event, particular thing that happened. And they're very helpful to our memories to have pictures. God has been gracious to plant pictures in His Word. Pictures that serve to remind us of what He has done and what He is doing and what He will do. And we're reminded this morning of two very important scriptures that are going to be on the screen behind me. The first one's from Romans 15:4. God says this, For whatever was written in the earlier times was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. And then Paul was very careful as the Lord led him to write in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 or chapter 10 when he reminds the church of this. Now these things happened to them as an example and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages came. So we find that the Old Testament has some incredible pictures if you will and reminders and truths for us. And there are things that we're to take hope from and to learn from. So this morning I want to take us back and take a look at one of those pictures in the Old Testament I think that has significance for us today. So I'm going to ask you, if you haven't already, to take your Bibles and open them up to Joshua, the fifth chapter. Joshua, the fifth chapter. And as you're turning there, let me give you just a a very brief, quick uh, review and bring you up to speed of where we are. This is... uh, God has guided His people and built a nation by taking them down to Egypt. And He did that through a drought and through one of His sons being sold into slavery. But God had a plan and He took them down there and He kept them in Egypt for 400 years and built them into a tremendous body, a nation, if you will, without a place, but a nation nonetheless His people. And he, the Lord allowed them to go into slavery, partly, I think, to toughen them up and make them ready for the trip and going back home, but also to lead them to cry out to him, to recognize they had a need for him. And when they did and when they cried out, the Lord heard that cry and he sent a deliverer, the man Moses, to take the people out of Egypt into the promised land that God had promised a long time before. And through a series of plagues, the Egyptians finally agreed that it was good for God's people to go. And in fact, they poured out their riches on them. They literally plundered them without uh, needing to. And they took away great wealth from the Egyptians and they left on the promised land. And God took them uh, across the Red Sea and very quickly he took them to the brink of the promised land. There, on the brink of the promised land, having seen all that God had done, the people promptly forgot that God was God, 
promptly forgot that he could take care of them, promptly forgot that he had prepared that place for them, and they decided and voted in a, in a business meeting not to go into the promised land. And God was, need, was uh, needless to say, extremely angry. And so he wandered them through the wilderness. And a part of wandering through the wilderness was so that he might kill off that generation of rebellious people. And the census said that when they, went into the, when they left Egypt, there were 603,550 men of the age of 20 to 60. And we know that 603,548 of them died in the next 40 years and would never get to go into the promised land. As God raised up new generation and new generations of leaders, and we find that only Joshua and Caleb survived the trip because they had been the faithful spies who said, we need to trust God all the way. And so God kept them. And so they now come into the book of Joshua just across the border from the promised land. And in chapter 1, with having Moses having died, God confirmed to Joshua again that he was the man to lead them. He was the leader. He was with them. And in fact, he had prepared the people there to be in great fear of them coming into the land. In chapter 2, we see the spies being sent across the, the, uh, the Jordan and they go into uh, Jericho and they find Rahab and they confirmation that God has prepared everything for them and they were going to be victorious and they come back with a great report. Chapters 3 and 4, the people prepare and then cross the Jordan River. God miraculously provides them a way across the river, showing them, not just their forefathers, but showing them that He was still God and that He prepared the land and that He was going to fulfill His promise. And so we come to chapter 5, and here's, here's the scenario. They have now crossed the Jordan River, and the river is behind them. It's in flood season, and the great walled city of Jericho is in front of them. And the people are up, they're excited, they, they have done everything they needed to do. And so let's read in, in chapter 5, verse 1. It came about that when all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west, and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea, that's the Mediterranean Sea, heard how the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan before the sons of Israel until they had crossed, that their hearts melted and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the sons of Israel. So the people have crossed over to a place that was going to be named Gilgal. And God, it says, had already done the work before they were to enter into battle anywhere. It says that God basically destroyed the will of the people, the Canaanite people, of all the nations there between the Jordan and the Great Sea. All the people that lived in the place called the Promised Land. And God had stopped the Jordan and they had seen that. And, and I know that the people of, of Israel did not know that God was doing that. But in reality, when they crossed that Red Sea and then they crossed the Jordan River, it says that the hearts of the people melted. And so God had done the work. So the first thing I want us to see in the picture of Joshua 5, which is a surprising picture, is this reminder that God always does the work. The real work was already done before they got there. And all they had to do was to walk in obedience and He changed the hearts of the people. He won the battle before the battle ever began. And it says that their hearts had melted. There was no spirit in them any longer. But then I want us to look at verse 2 through 9 and see the most incredible thing that God does. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make for yourselves 
flint knives and circumcise again the sons of Israel the second time. So Joshua made himself flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeath Harloth. This is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt who were males, all the men of war died in the wilderness along the way after they came out of Egypt. For all the people who came out were circumcised, but all the people who were born in the wilderness along the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the sons of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, that is, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not listen to the voice of the Lord, to whom the Lord had sworn that He would not let them see the land which the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give us a land flowing with milk and honey. Verse 7, The children whom He raised up in their place Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not circumcised them along the way. Now when they had finished circumcising all the nation, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. This is the most incredible part of the whole story and perhaps the whole book of Joshua to me. That God gets them ready to go and He's done the miracles back in Egypt that they have now heard about because these are not the men who came out of Egypt. These are the boys who came out of Egypt. The men of war who had been counted were aged 20 and above up to the age of 60. And all of those men had died. So all of these men now had been under the age of 20 when they left Egypt or perhaps just born along the way. So there was a great nation, over 601,000 of them now had been replaced. And not a one of them, save Joshua and Caleb, had been circumcised in the going. And God says, I know you're ready for war. I know you've seen the great things I've done. I know that you've crossed the Jordan River. I know you guys are ready. I know you've sent spies in. I know you know that everything is ready. So here's what I want you to do. Incapacitate all of your warriors now. Make them all where they're absolutely vulnerable to any and everything. You got the Jordan behind you in the flood stage. You got the great walled city out there. You don't know what those people are going to do. Remember, the plan for Jericho had not been revealed yet. They had no idea how they were going to fight this battle. Everything we know about Jericho in chapter 6 had not been told to them in chapter 5. So they had no idea and God says, I want you to stop and perform this ancient rite that you have not observed since you left Egypt. So why would they do that? Why would they do that? Well, we go back and we read the story of circumcision in Genesis 17 and verse 11. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. There's a lot of purposes and a lot of meaning behind the circumcision, but this is the basic one. It was a mark to say, you belong to me. It was God's mark on His men to say, you are my people. They were not the only people that did circumcision, but they were the only ones who did it with a significant spiritual reason, that you are my people. We read in Deuteronomy, it says, circumcise your heart and stiffen your neck no longer. And the New Testament then adds the fullest picture to it when it says in Colossians, and in Him, speaking of Jesus, in Him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism in which you were also raised up through faith 
and the working of God who raised him from the dead. This is to say that our hearts have been circumcised in Christ. Our old self has been cut away. We have died to self. And Christ has come in and lives in us. And that's the new us. That is the new uh, we're new. We're made new. Scripture is so clear about that. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. And so the Old Testament says the picture of circumcision, which becomes insignificant as a physical act in the New Testament, because the significant thing is that Christ comes in and he changes our heart and he puts his mark on us. And we're owned not by something we do to our flesh, but by the fact that he lives within us. So circumcision, but in the Old Testament, was a mark that they belonged to God, and it was a mark of their obedience. And Scripture is very plain that it says in Genesis 17, 14, that if an, un, if an uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh, that person shall be cut off from my people because he has broken my covenant. God has said, and has said all along to the people, that if you do not observe this ordinance of circumcision, then you're not my people. I don't care what you do. I don't care what you say. I don't care who your parents were. I don't care what family you're in. I don't care where you live. You're not my people. And I owe you nothing as my people if you do not observe this. So the great truth here is that God's ways are not our ways. And so as they prepare to go to war and as I think that they are excited and the warriors are ready for battle and pumped up and ready to go, then they're going to do this thing which says, and they waited for a while while they healed. It was a painful surgery for these males. And so the entire nation was circumcised to observe the fact and renew their covenant walk with God. But look what happens in verse 10. And while the sons of Israel camped at Gilgal, they observed the Passover on the evening of the 14th day of the month on the desert plains of Jericho. On the day after Passover, on that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. The manna ceased on the day after they had eaten some of the produce of the land, so that the sons of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate some of the yield of the land of Canaan during that year. Circumcision was a prerequisite, a requirement to observe the Passover supper. And they had not observed the Passover supper but twice in their history. Once when they left Egypt and then once when they got in the wilderness the very first year they observed it. And then once they became rebellious they never again observed Passover and they never again did circumcision. But now that they've been circumcised they could stop and pause and celebrate Passover. Passover required them to take some time to set it up and we read that as they observe Passover, it says on that very day after Passover, on the 15th of the month, which, by the way, is the day after Passover is the first fruit celebration. It says the people began to eat some of the produce of the land, they began to have produce of the land, and God stopped sending the manna. For 40 years, he had, he had uh, supplied them every need through the manna. Every physical need for hunger was met by through the manna. And God stopped that on that day. And God often will do that. He'll supply our needs in one way and then He changes. And He asks us to be obedient and He completely changes how He supplies and where He leads and what He does for us. But He asks us to trust Him. So they go into the land. He stops the manna. He says, now you'll have the produce of the land. Now they hadn't been there but a day in the land. 
So they ate, but they ate of the, of the produce of the land, not that they had grown it, but it was there for them to take. And God would supply for them every day. So this is, this is for me as I read this story here in chapter 5. Here, here's the thing that stands out to me. Is that God is more concerned with his people being spiritually ready than he is for them to be physically ready. They were physically ready to do battle. But God didn't call them saying, I need you to sharpen your axes and I need you to sharpen your spears and I need you to sharpen your arrows. He didn't say that. He said, I want you to make knives for circumcision. And then I want you to pause and get ready and I want you to observe the Passover, which would require the, a great sacrifice of lambs and a lot of, of, lot of work. And God is saying to the people, if you will, listen, I took care of the people when I brought you here. And the war has been won and the people have melted away and they're walled up in the city. And he didn't tell them all that. But in reality, I have done everything that needs to be done. What you need to do is be right before me. What you need to do is be obedient to what I have commanded you. What you need to do is identify yourself as my people and keep my covenant and keep my observances that I commanded you to do. And if you'll do those things, if you'll be obedient in those things that they were to have been doing every year, all the time, I'll take care of all those battles for you. So we come then to the end of the story in Joshua chapter 5. It came about that when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, and I'm going to pause here for a second. <laughs> I think... Joshua got away. There had been a lot of moaning and groaning in the camp, I'm going to guess. And he decided to step outside the camp and just wander away and have a quiet moment. And then he looks at this city, which, by the way, is the greatest walled city in all of Canaan. He looks at Jericho and he lifts up his eyes and behold, a man was standing opposite him and his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, rather I indeed come now as captain of the host of the Lord. And Joshua fell down on his face to the earth and bowed down and said to him, What has my Lord to say to his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said to Joshua, Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. I think it was the confirmation that the people were now ready for battle. And God sends an angel. It says he was the ho uh, that he was the host of the army of the Lord. He's captain of the host of the army of the Lord. So you got the, you got the head guy, the head angel, if you will, who's ready to do battle. And and Joshua's coming to say, "Are you for us or against us?" And he says basically, "That is the wrong question, Joshua. This is what I'm going to tell you: who I am." And he says that he bowed down, Joshua immediately bowed down, recognizing that he was from God, that he was God's angel. Some believe he was an incarnation of Christ. We don't know that. It just says he was captain of the host. And, and he fell down. He says, what has my Lord to say to me? In other words, he recognized Joshua, immediately recognized, I am not you. I'm not the head of the battle. You're head of the battle. You tell me what I need to know. You tell me. I'm not the soldier here. You are. You tell me what we need to do. And he says this. Take off your sandals for the place is holy. And you have to love Joshua's response. Four words. And Joshua did so. Simple request. And I think that it, 
shows us that what God asks of us to do is the very simple, everyday, ordinary things. Recognize Him. Recognize that He is holy. He leads the battle. He leads the charge. He leads the, everything in our life we need. He leads. And all He asks us to do is to be obedient and recognize that we're before Him, we're on holy ground and treat Him as such. God does the work. God's timing is not our timing. Spiritual preparation always trumps physical preparation. And obedience is more important than the immediacy of the moment. Because the moment was very important, and yet when he encountered this angel, he knew what he needed to do. He bowed down and said, what do you want me to do? Now, what's the application for us today? I think a lot of times we get caught waiting and praying for Jericho-type moments. We need the walls to fall down. We need some huge, massive, incredible change on our part, our circumstances, other people's part. Failing to remember that Jericho in chapter 6 doesn't happen unless we have chapter 5. Unless there was circumcision and Passover, unless there was bowing down to the Lord, there is no Jericho chapter 6. At this point, again, the people have no idea. Joshua has no idea how God is going to do what God is going to do, but God did it. But it doesn't happen the way it happens in chapter 6. The walls do not fall down unless chapter 5 happens. And often we're praying for huge answers and huge deliverances and huge changes. And God says, I want you to walk in faithful obedience today. I want you to recognize me today. I want you to carry out the things you committed to do long ago when you became my people, when we became Christians, when we vowed we'd walk with the Lord, when we gave our heart to Christ, when we said, Lord, I want you to take my life and be Lord and be my Savior and give direction to all I do. We forget that. And, we begin, and we, when we forget that, then he begins to say, you're not my people. Now, we belong to him, but we don't look like it. So I want to encourage us. How obedient are we in the small things today? How obedient are we in the small stuff that God has asked us to do? And he's asked us to do a lot of small stuff. He's asked us to stay in his word. He's asked us to stay tied to him. He's asked us to turn the other cheek and place the things of God above the things of this world. He's asked us to take no thought for ourselves, but follow him. And so I wonder, uh, you know, our pastor, when he calls us to observe the Lord's Supper, he always pauses as we begin and asks us to take a moment and reflect on our life and be sure that we are spiritually right before we take the elements of the Lord's Supper. Be spiritually right before you take this physical act. And I see them saying the same thing here. The Lord said the same thing to Joshua. You need to be spiritually right before you're going to go be, be in battle, before you're going you're to wipe up the people. And they did. They wiped up all the... They, they had victory everywhere they went as long as they were obedient. And yet God said, I need you to be faithful in the small stuff and the everyday stuff. I need you to be strongly identified as my people. And then if you'll do that, I'll take care of all those other things in due course. And sometimes we get charged up and we get excited about the big things and we fail to take care of the small things. I think God is calling us to take stock of our life spiritually. And slow down. And we go through life about 75 to 90 miles per hour every day, all day long. We go as hard as we can until we run out of energy and then we collapse at night. And we get up the next day and we get started and we go again. And God would say to us, 
Have you taken time and are you spiritually where you need to be? You can't be my people if you're not spiritually where you are. Are you spending time with me? Because I guarantee you these days of circumcision and Passover observance, they were spending time dwelling on the Lord and he was preparing their hearts for all that was ahead. I would encourage today to take time to allow the Lord to speak and show us where we need to be. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you for this picture from the Old Testament. Father, this picture that says that spiritual is more important than physical. And that the immediacy, Father, of life is not as important as being obedient to you. And Father, how easy it is in getting things done, in accomplishing, in achieving, in accumulating, in taking care of, we neglect to walk with you. We neglect to spend time with you. We neglect to allow you to continually circumcise our heart that we might be yours and not ours. So Father, this morning, we pause just to say, speak to us, show us places where we've not been obedient, and Father, lead us to repentance that we might be your people and that through us, then you can do what you wanna do. Father, we don't know your plans, but we trust you in that. Father, may we be honest before you this morning, for we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.